And I, I do want to particularly thank Bishop Green and Elder, Elder Lady Carmen. Sorry, I'm not used to some of the nomenclature. <laughs> Elder Roy and the staff leaders and all the congregation of Pentecostal Tabernacle for welcoming us on this August 20th. It is just really a tremendous opportunity. Uh, the bishop called me back earlier in the summer and, and asked about the possibility of me speaking and from that idea came the idea, came the notion of a joint service. And I'm so glad that God led us to that notion because back then none of us knew how timely this day would be. Yes, yeah. In our, in our own worship service last Sunday, I led our church in a pastoral prayer. And in my mind, I was thinking about the jostling between America and North Korea. And I was thinking about the events in Charlottesville, Virginia. And I led the prayer and I used words like this. I said, there are international and national things going on. And I used words like violence and hatred and injustice and selfishness. And I concluded my prayer. I actually thought I'd, in some ways, I thought I'd done a pretty good job. Like, kind of being aware of what's going on in the world and of importance. But I got an email that, later that day from one of my members. And this is what she wrote me. She said, Hi, Pastor Dan. I'm reading this with permission. And, and I might cry. I'm hoping not to. I, but I, She said, hi, Pastor Dan. I think we missed an opportunity today to take a stand for racial justice. While I think I know where our church stands, I wish we could clearly have said that there is no room in God's kingdom for white supremacy. No room in God's kingdom for violence. I agree that selfishness is the root of the problem. That was the heart of my prayer. But also know that there are members of our congregation that are hurting. I think it's important to acknowledge their wounds and our role as white Americans in their pain. With no direct mention of Charlottesville or of the people who died, I think we failed today. I don't feel equipped to step out as a leader in this area in our church, but also don't want this moment to go unrecognized. It is weighing heavily on my heart. Well, I, when I got the email, I contacted my member and I thanked her. And I thanked her because, um, you know, as a white person, I have blind spots. 
And I don't feel the hurt and pain that others may feel. I don't experience the news in the same way that others experience the news. And, uh, and so I was really very, very grateful for her to have emailed me and alerted me to really the, my mistake. She said we failed, which was gracious. I think she meant, well, I failed. But God is a redeeming God. This summer we've been thinking about God as the God of second chances. And I thought it was kind of God to give me a second chance today in this setting. And so today in this setting I say, there is no room in the kingdom of God for white supremacy. There is, there is no room in the kingdom of God for the mistreatment and abuse of women. There is no room for the sustaining of immigrants and refugees in the kingdom of God. Of any kind, between rich or poor, room in the kingdom of God for these things. And we say no in the name of Jesus. It dawned on me in standing here today in the light of these events that perhaps I'm the like worst possible speaker to be addressing Pentecostal Tabernacle. But then I think, well, maybe no, in the wisdom of God, who walks us in humility on both sides, that maybe I'm the best. Thank God for the opportunity to... There seems to be an awful lot of room for it in God's world in which we live. Doesn't there? Because as far as I know, those events in Charlottesville were real. It wasn't some staged movie thing. And the atrocities that occur around the world whether it be between rich or poor, or black or white, or in other nations, their own imbalances and indifferences. And of course, everywhere, we know, between men and women, these things are part of the world in which we live. So how do we understand, as God's people, where there can be nothing, and yet there's something? Now, I had planned on speaking to you today from Psalm 8, before the events of these past few weeks occurred, and yet again, in the mercy of God, I find it a, a perfect passage and message from God's Word for us to help us deeper get, get a deeper grasp of both this world of God's and of God's kingdom. So let me invite you to turn in your Bibles, for some of you to open it on your phones, to Psalm 8. It's a very well-known psalm. It's a psalm that, uh, if you're not familiar with the numbers, I think you'll probably immediately recognize. It's a beautiful meditation of David's on God's glory in his creation order. So I'll give you a second to turn and then let me read it to you. I'm reading in the NIV, but it's the newer NIV. And so... I entitled the sermon, What is Mankind? I memorized it in the old NIV, What is Man? And maybe that's more familiar to most of you, but I actually appreciate some of the nuances of the gender-inclusive language translations for the very reason of the things I just spoke about. Because certainly this psalm is addressed to male and female, and so when we 
add words to make it a little clearer, I think that raises the communication of God's word to us because he's speaking to everyone here. And here's what David wrote. He said, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You set your glory in the heavens through the praise of children and infants. You have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and herds and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let me take a moment to pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word. For your word is a lamp unto our feet. It guides our understanding, Father, of this world, of our lives. Who are we? What, how are we? Father, we pray, go even more clearly through your word today. In this mighty name, amen. One of the things you'll notice about David's reflection, imagine David, view of the heavens before him. And so he's reflecting on the greatness of creation, but, but that's not the focus of his meditation. Where he zeroes his thoughts in on is something much less grand and in some ways much more puzzling. Because he begins to think about humanity. He begins to think about mankind. And he's reflecting on God's sovereign ordering of this world. And what does he say in the text regarding mankind? Now, in our church, that's, that's actually a question I'm asking you. And uh, in our church, I do a lot of like give and take, you know, get back and forth. And I won't do as much now. Uh, what does he say? What does he say about mankind? What is in some ways surprising about mankind? What has God made us to be? Somebody from Pentecostal Tabernacle, please. Hmm? Rulers. Right? I think I heard the word rulers. God made us to be rulers. It says he put everything under our feet. He has crowned us. It says he's given us glory and honor. And David is like, whoa. Now, I recognize that this is being live streamed. <laughs> but I like object lessons when I think of them when I preach. So I brought along an object lesson today that I think will be very memorable for all of you. You see, because what Psalm 8 declares is that God has crowned us. <laughs> Apologies to Cambridgeport Baptist because they've seen my crown before. He's crowned us. What does it mean to be crowned? It means you've got power. And you've got authority. And God's given you responsibility. 
And you might say, when you think about the crowning of humanity by God, in light of the things in this world and the events of human history, you might be tempted to say, what was God thinking? What was he thinking when he gave such power to every single human being? Now, you might not feel so powerful, but in fact, as humanity, God has given us power for our rulership. And I might suggest, well, it's going to take it off, but I think I'm going to leave it on. Just for a little longer, because there's a point to be made. The primary power that God has given every one of us is the power of speech. It's the ability to communicate. It separates us from all the other creatures. I know some have minimal abilities, but none have the ability to rule through their speech. Remember, it was at the Tower of Babel that with one language, humanity could operate in such a way and use, such, use their authority in such a destructive way that God said, I've got to confuse their languages. I've got to at least slow this thing down. And so the languages were given and they were, the people were split. So they couldn't work together and cooperate so well. Language is powerful. Why we're so concerned about the... Thank you. He said, so was God thinking in the psalm. What are the Lord, our Lord? How majestic is your name in all the earth? He's looking to God, authority and power. And when you have authority and power, under authority and power, then what power and authority looks like is service and love. It's marked by the characteristics of humility and mutual respect and honor. It's not about white and black. Paul says it's not about slave or free. It's not about any of these distinctives. God has called us into this purpose which he has established. Now you might say to yourself, well, it's been an awfully long time. It has been a long time. Humanity's been around a long time. We're still seeing this thing not quite worked out. We're seeing too much of this. Not enough of this. Laying it down. But of course, we know that God's destiny for us as his people will be fulfilled. And how do we know, church? How do we know? We know because God's already accomplished the feat in the person of Jesus Christ. There's already been one who's pioneered the way. There's already one who has gotten to the end of the race. There is a way maker. There is someone who has opened the doors for us. Because you and I both know that we do a lot of taking on and taking off of our crowns. Husbands, do you take off your crowns in the presence of your wives? 
You will this afternoon. <laughs> Wives, you got crowns too. Parents, children, roommates, family members, employers, employees. Our world is full of crowns that need to be taken off. God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Jesus, we know, was the eternal God. Now, some of these things we know are beyond our real knowledge. We know them because it's been told to us. We can figure this out. This is by revelation. Jesus was crowned eternally with glory and honor. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He always was and always will be. We're told in Philippians that he took off his crown, right? Took off his crown. He laid it before the Father. He became one of us. We're told he did not consider equality with God a privilege to be clung to. I just want to say to you, if you ever say, if you ever hear the words coming out of your mouth, something about your rights, you're wrong. As soon as you go there, you're wrong. Just, you're wrong. Because your right, your power, your authority is to take off your rights like Jesus did so that it's clear to all what it means to be a ruler in the kingdom of God. Because what it means to be a ruler in the kingdom of God is to live like Jesus did. That is, it's to live a life of service and of humility. It's being willing to love white supremacists even in their sin and to pray for them, even if you're an African-American. That's what it means. It means giving up your rights because you've aligned yourself with God. The crown you wear is one removed. It's on the head of God. And in fact, once you take off your crown, once you realize... You don't want, just like I don't want this on TV, right? I don't want this crown on my head. I, but once you realize you want it off you, it becomes almost like a hot potato. You're like, no, no, no. I want God to be crowned over my life. I want to walk in his ways. So Jesus bore our sin to demonstrate the depth of what it means to be a human being, crowned with the glory and honor of God. Don't think of Jesus always as God in the flesh. Think of him as a human being, because it says he was made in every way just like us, except he never put the crown back on. It says he was tempted, but he never did it. In the garden, he was very tempted, but in the garden, he said, Father, not my will. I'm not, I'm not touching that crown. Now, God's goodness, we were singing of his love and goodness, right? He had me dancing a little bit. That's the best I can do. God shares his life with humanity in a way, in such an extent, that it should actually cause you to be a little troubled. 
You should say, no, Lord. No, 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 no. When Jesus died and gave himself for us as a man, God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and under heaven and in the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. What is our destination? We're going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Because God can't stop being God, which means he can't stop giving to us. He can't stop turning over to us. He can't stop loving us, sharing with us who he is. And we never become God. You'd have to run me out of here if I told you that. But God exalts us when we stop exalting ourselves. You take off the crown, and God says he's going to put it back on you in the right moment. Because you've gotten to the place where you know how to wear it. Because when God puts that crown back on Jesus, Jesus doesn't get an attitude. No. Instead, what does Jesus do? Do you know he's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us? Do you know it's like a mom? His work never ends. Do we have an amen from the moms on that? It's because it's the nature of God. We don't take off the crown to get a crown to then all of a sudden turn it the wrong way. No. It's very interesting when you look at crowns in the Bible. If you go to Revelation 4, it says the elders are before the throne. And what are they doing with their crowns? They're casting them to the throne of God. They're like, no, God, this is yours. God's like, no, it's yours. No, it's yours. God's like, no, it's yours. I've made you as my image bearers. I've given you power and authority. And you are walking in it. And you get and deserve a crown. Now, in our day, when there are protests that go on like the protest in Boston, part of us is cheered by resistance to evil. But, and I know in a measure, I'm sure the church was involved, and I'm sure those who were involved from the church had taken off their crowns. But there are a lot of people who don't have crown theology, and they're protesting hatred, and they got their crowns on, and they're mad, and they're angry, and they're ready to kill. Church, arise. We've got to show the way of taking off the crown. You can't fight hatred with hatred or evil with evil. We're told that we overcome evil with good. You can't do good when you've got your crown on. Because then you think, you know what you think when you've got your crown on? You know what those people think who are thinking they're doing good, but they got their crown on? They're making the mistake of might equaling right. They got bigger numbers. They got the police. It's flipped from years ago in other parts of the nation, right in the South, when it was all flipped around, and police were on the wrong, you know. So might makes right when you got a crown on your head, and all it brings is more pain and destruction. Who can show the way? Who can teach the crown coming off? We can. Church of Jesus Christ. It starts in our individual lives, practicing every day, 
Take the crown off. Take the crown off. Start your day in a taking the crown off symbolic moment. And you know what that symbolic moment could be? Well, prayer. Prayer is a symbolic, mo is a symbolic moment of taking the crown off because you're recognizing God over your life. You can kneel. If you just kneel, if you're physically able to kneel, if you just kneel for a few minutes to start your day, you're saying, oh God, crown off. Crown is off. If you raise your hands and surrender, maybe, you're, maybe you've got arthritic knees, right? That, that would be bad. You can't get on your knees. Well, not everybody can. You can raise your hands in a sign of surrender. You can say, God, I don't want the crown. I want to walk in your way. And then God, out of his mercy, fills with his spirit. Jesus came to baptize his people in the Holy Spirit. Now, you're Pentecostals, so I know I'm preaching to a friendly crowd. You can't live this life without God. You won't take the crown off without God. So you call out to God every day, and you believe and you trust that God is going to work in you and lead you by the power of his spirit. So every day you just say, oh God, here I am, crown off, let the Holy Spirit fall. Because I can't get through an hour without my thoughts or my hearts or my words betraying that somehow that crown got back on my head. Boy, it's like got a spring and shoots right back up there. And I don't want that crown on my head. And as we learn as God's people to walk, without the crown, in the authority that we've been given. And as we learn to do it together, God is glorified on the earth and good prevails. And good will prevail because God's design and plan will not fail. We may experience delay or frustration, but we know with absolute confidence because Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter and he has opened the door. And no one can shut the door that Jesus has opened. If you're here today, and you have never yet taken off your crown, you've been around it, you've, you've, you know, you've heard, that you should submit yourself to God, you've heard, that you should receive Jesus. You've heard words like this, that you should accept Christ. All of that, all, all that's always being talked about, it's about taking off your crown. It's about recognizing God over your life. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. You may be here, and maybe this isn't your home church. It seems like an odd place for you to take an action like that, but you know, God speaks to us in interesting ways and times. And we're hoping that God's speaking, not all of us today, as we reflect on the struggle with the crown, but for those of you who maybe are still just wearing it and have not taken it off, you're born with it, everyone's born with it, and you're trying to decide. God's inviting you. God allows us to wear the crown. And he will not compel you to give up the crown because that's not 
what God has in mind. God has in mind a voluntary submission, a willing heart. He doesn't want people under his authority who don't want his authority. So he invites. But he also warns. Because if you keep your own authority, well, you're on your own authority. And when your days come to an end, your own authority will get you nowhere. In fact, God continually says to his people, I've got life. And without me, there's only death. Choose life. Take off the blasted crown and receive my love and my life for you. Nothing but good for you if you're willing to take off the crown. In a moment, uh, Elder Roy will come up. I want to close us in prayer and he'll lead in a time. But there are counselors here. There are people here if today's the day for you to take off your crown, or maybe for some of you, maybe it's not the first time the crown's coming off, but maybe that crown was off and it came back on and it's been on for a long time. And maybe it feels like it's kind of been glued to your head. And maybe today God's wanting to knock that glue off, release you from your bondage, bring you to newness of life once again. Well, this is the day to do it. Let God's word find its place in your heart. Let's join together in a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you're a God who shares with us so greatly, just so incredibly, you've given us glory and honor. You have made us ruler over the works of your hands. You have placed in this earth everything under our feet. You've given us power and authority. Oh, Father, forgive us for the times at which we use that power and authority to harm, to tear down, to exalt self. Father, forgive us. Help us to take the crown off our heads, to lay it before your throne of grace, to receive from you mercy and help in our time of need that we could live according to your plan and purpose. As your people here, walking in your steps, empowered by your own presence through the Spirit, forgiven through Jesus Christ for all of our sins, that we might be true children of God, members of the royal family, living honorable lives before you, and showing the world who our God truly is. And Father, if there are some here who have not yet come to that point of clarity, that time of hearing your voice that says, come to me, may today they say yes, take off that crown and receive from you the real crown of life. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.